From Good HQ on Riverside Avenue in sentimental yet indifferent Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are video game nostalgia and the elusive PC games market. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Hi guys! Welcome oh. back. <laughs> I was like, oh, it feels like it's been a month since I've done this. It's been a month since I've done this. <laughs> Listeners have heard me pretty much all the way, except for last week. But it's been a while. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how to do this anymore. <laughs> it's okay. We'll train you in again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's nice to be back from GDC. It's nice to be back in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, we got some fun stuff to talk about this episode, but we got some. Other stuff to talk about in advance of that. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Meta. I, I started my job. Yay! <laughs> it's great. Uh, I like it a lot. I'm like a professional game developer and it feels good. What's great about your job, Stephen, is that you always build yourself as, yes, I code. Yes, I, I, I do all the things that in game development, the many different tasks we have to do. Yeah. But you're a designer, a game designer. Yeah. And you got hired in a job as a game designer. And a lot of what it is at the professional level, particularly right now, the work you're doing is a lot of programming. It is. And you're loving it. I am enjoying it. And I, I think that's so great. I'm just, I'm honestly kind of surprised at how much I'm enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> because for the longest time, I'm like, oh, I just, okay, I'll do code, I guess. But like, it's pretty fun. <laughs> don't tell my dad. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was always like, you need to be a programmer. And I was like, I don't want to. And now I'm doing it. And so. Well, what you got to say is like, I'm not a programmer, but like, that's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> Like I just do it yeah, anyway. You yeah, program, yeah. No. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> but, I but it's nice because I think you're learning, you're discovering how much you already know. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's a that has to be a huge confidence. Boost. It is. <laughs> I think that's great. It's really hard for indies who like they spend all their time learning and working on their own. Even when, even in a community like this, is very supportive. Mm-hmm. Like it's you got to step back and realize like how, the accomplishments you have up to now. Yeah. And it, it, you know, on the precipice of like even more learning and education and experience for you, like it must be great to, to take stock of, in context of what, right, yeah. of really what the skills you have. Yeah. At the end of the day, like I got hired because of what I know and what I can do. Yeah. And that feels good. <laughs> Someone's right. paying me for that. Right. You didn't get a golden ticket or something. You earned it. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. It feels good. That's great. We're also happy for you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> In other news, uh-huh. Martha, you have a talk coming up. Will it have happened by this time? The 23rd. Oh. I don't, I don't want know. to do this, man. Yeah, it's confusing. <laughs> also, uh, tickets are really content. expensive, great, so great we don't expect content. a lot of people to be there, but... Um, you, yeah. g- you guys gave out a promo code in the last episode, yes. so hopefully some people took advantage of that. I yeah. took advantage of that, and I'm sure I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you were there, Mark. <laughs> yeah, uh, the reason why, one of, like, one of the reasons why I wanted to do the talk, at, uh, we, me and my brother did a talk about um, movement in VR and our VR movement experiments with uh, dance pad as a movement controller. Um, and we'll be talking about that, like Henry, we'll have Henry on the show yeah. to talk about it um, sometime soon. But um, And this was, is, or will be at Mini WebCon. Yes, at yes. Mini WebCon. And the reason why, one of the reasons why I applied to have the talk is that I've, this conference is kind of expensive and it's during work. And so I've never gotten to go to it before. <laughs> <laughs> and so to get a free ticket and get be able to get off work to go to it, I... It's, we sign up for the doc. So. That's so slick. <laughs> nice, yeah. So I don't expect my, many of you to be there. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, 
Well, I I, uh, I got a ticket. I mean, one to support you, but it was too expensive, really, to just to support you. Um, but, sorry, uh, but it's that's a, fine. It looks it's a lot of money. It's a great. Yeah. I mean, it's a bunch of really great stuff. So I'm actually really excited about the whole day. So uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I hope it lived up to your expectations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but speaking of, like you're saying, you're going to want to have Henry on the show. Um, uh, we're going to uh, do that to talk about your project in a video episode um and as we speak now we have not done this new format yet but we're we're going to try a new uh video format for our uh, uh video episodes where um certainly we're doing nice plays where we we play some games for a while and talk about uh game dev topics we're going to try something where we uh crack open the hood and take a look at the you know behind the scenes of a project and sort of poke around inside um that and we don't know what we're going to call it um yet exactly <laughs> Well, Steven had a great idea for yeah. the name. Oh, I just called a game interview because you're yeah. interviewing the game. Effectively. <laughs> you're asking questions to the game and the game answers. Yeah, it's, oh. that's, a, that's, a, that's, and that's the format. That's exactly right. We, we were basically, yeah. we, we have a game in front of us and we want to sort of yeah, ask it how it works, what mm-hmm. it's about. And the interview is a great sort of like metaphor for it. Yeah, um, sometimes so, it doesn't respond. So we're going to do that with, <laughs> uh, with your guys' game, Clawbreaker, mm-hmm. uh, first, and that'll come out next week. So... Um, like I said, as we speak, we have not <laughs> figured out all the details. Um, but I, 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 I'm, I assure you, uh, it's going to be great. Save, it's going to be the best. You're going to love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. going to be like, this is why I subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're going to take a look at the VR stuff that you and Henry have done, and we're going to uh, take a look at Metro Nexus, and then hopefully, Stephen, you'll work up the courage to show us uh, the guts of Vengeance mm. because there's so much interesting stuff in there. There's so, there's so much stuff in there. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Not to jeopardize your new position as a professional developer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, day. <laughs> think about that. <laughs> but I think it'll be good. So listeners uh, look forward to that. And for those of you guys who have not like crossed over and watched a lot of our video episodes, um, like what, what, what's wrong with you? Start doing that. Go watch them. <laughs> people seem to, that I talked to seem to really like the recent um, one on Slime Rancher. Yeah. I've had two people come talk to me about it. That's good. So, That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Go watch that one if you haven't. Mm-hmm. People seem to like it. Yep, yes. yep. Those are on YouTube. So, and the links are all on on, on nicegames.club. So, check those out. Uh, I'm doing a talk at Mini Bar, sort of, for yeah. like five minutes <laughs> on co-routines. Yeah. Will that have happened? Yes. Yeah. That yes, because that's, that's happening next weekend. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Check you out doing an engineering talk. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've grown so much. <laughs> <laughs> Brand new Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm nostalgic for the old Steven. <laughs> Perfect transition. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so yes, my, my topic uh, this week is nostalgia. And um, I've been recently playing Kirby Star Allies. Yeah. And it's super great. But I think I really like it a lot because like, I played almost all the other Kirby games. And there's a whole bunch of references and stuff. Like you can play as Marks. And you can play as Rick and Koo and, and Kine and... And and then uh-huh. there's a whole bunch of these other characters <laughs> sure. y'all have never heard of, I'm sure. But like, it's it to me, it's really great because like they they bring all of these things back and stuff, and like I get to see them in 3D, and like also the game is extremely cute. It's like uh-huh. super cute. Like sometimes I have to just pause the game and go ah! for like a few minutes because <laughs> it's like really cute. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like I would not enjoy that game as much if I did not have that kind of nostalgia. So yeah. I don't know if y'all have grown up playing Kirby games or not. See, I have not. The okay. Kirby game I love that I 
that brought me on board as a Kirby fan mm-hmm. um, is uh, K- Kirby's Epic Yarn. Yeah. Which is as cute, but in a totally different way. Yeah, right. And so when I looked at Kirby Star Allies, I'm like, oh, this is like a classic Kirby game. Mm-hmm. It has the classic look of Kirby. I mean, it's the nicest looking Kirby game ever. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't appeal to me at all, the art style the, and, and that sort of style of cuteness. As mm-hmm. much as I love, you know, like seeing pictures of Kirby and seeing your plush Kirbys, <laughs> like the Epic Yarn Kirby, that's the style of cute I like. Yeah. That's a little bit, the handcrafted look. That's So for some reason, that's just what it is to me. I got you. And when I see that classic Kirby, it actually feels, it actually can kind of like sort of cheap and und, undesigned. It, it doesn't, didn't appeal to me in any way and i think it's because i have no nostalgia for it i feel a little offended i mean i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's okay i mean it is kind of the premise of your right, topic. No, it, it totally is um like i i think that that's fair like you saw kirby star allies and it didn't seem very interesting because like you don't have nostalgia for the for the original kirby game right right and it made me think about like things like mario yeah like one of the things about odyssey i didn't like was it it, it didn't feel like it was really strongly art directed as a whole piece the oh. way the galaxy was mm-hmm. um, but i still loved every corner of the world yeah and i think a lot of that might have had to do with just how much i like mario yeah you know yeah well maybe martha you don't like mario games because the first experience you had with martha uh, mario games were not good. anti-nostalgia <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mario odyssey has succeeded despite my anti-nostalgia <laughs> yeah yeah we were trying to come up with a word for anti-nostalgia we couldn't come up with a good one <laughs> <laughs> as good as any of them oh i forgot to say this in the meta oh but over um the the past weekend i was hanging out with my cousins and my little cousins and i indoctrinated them into nintendo and had them play the switch and one of my the older cousin had uh played mario and the little cousin played the hat and it was really great (laughs) and then they uh my aunt called us down for dinner um they started running down the stairs going it's me Oh, that's the best. That's wonderful. That's so funny. they'll I, have nostalgia for it. Yeah. <laughs> I had uh, my my nephews over the other uh, the, a week or so ago, and uh, they've been playing. Every time I see them, like uh, uh, Markle, can can we play your Nintendo? Because they all they want to play Zelda. And um, I, I had them over, and I had one of them playing Job Simulator in VR. I had one of them playing Zelda on my TV, and I had the third one playing with my Star Trek action figures. Oh my god! So I'm like, I'm doing my duty. <laughs> Yes, indoctrinate your children to play these games. But uh, like nostalgia totally does that. It wants you to, you want to pass it on. Right, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. That's totally it. And I think that like, that's a lot of it. Um, There was a discussion on, on our uh, MSP game dev Slack earlier about like, there's a remake of Spyro games coming out yeah. in September, I think. And um, some of the people who saw like the, the trailer footage, they didn't like the way that it looked because they felt like the original Spyro games like everything was designed with those limitations in mind because they were on the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. And so uh, everything was designed for that. So like that was what, not only that's what they experienced, but that's what like the developers initially intended. And so like this, this updated graphics and stuff where it looks like, you know, the PS4 version of the game, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it doesn't, it didn't seem right. It seemed like there was too much stuff so like, and it, it, it didn't feel right to them. And I, I was wondering like, can nostalgia be like, counterintuitive in that way like maybe because you have uh memories of this old game uh you don't want to experience the new game changed or uh manipulated in a, in a way yeah i mean you want it to be new but not to, not to be different yeah right and that's that's the it's the and nostalgia itself is a word that that sort of means like it's kind of a bittersweet definition yeah right? 
Um, and so that, yeah, I, I totally think so. And I think that like overcoming that is really tricky. And then like, like Mario Odyssey, like a game that like Martha, you had no nostalgia for, like it's the gameplay and everything that, that won you over. And then all the rest of the stuff that, that was like instant sales for a lot of us, mm-hmm. like, uh, you then came to, to love. Right. Yeah. And so, but I think for certain titles, it can be like, I think when you're, you own those properties and you're releasing a new version, if you're really careful about like that first impression. Yeah. Um, for for the longtime fans, and that's can be really, and you probably have no idea what they'll react to. Yeah, it's like those spiral games. Like I think the designers are probably never, uh, in you know they they are making it look like how they wanted it to make originally or something. Right. But like that never, no one ever saw that, and so they never hooked into that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Like like people, they have memories of how the game looks, and uh, that will just paint how they see it in the future too. Like I'm thinking of, uh, you know, Banjo Kazooie games. People have a lot of nostalgia for the N64 mm-hmm. games. And then they released Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts on yeah. the 360, and I really enjoyed that game, despite the fact that it's not at all a platformer. It's like a, a, a vehicle building thing where, like, you can you build vehicles to uh, complete a bunch of different tasks and stuff, and compete in mini games and things like that. And I really enjoyed that game, but like a lot of people didn't want to play that game at all, strictly because uh, it was not a platformer. And I didn't play it because I never played Banjo Kazooie. Sure. <laughs> so, but I, I, you know, I've, I've heard people say that like it's an excellent game. It is. And so it ended up it alienated both audiences yeah. and didn't do very well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which was unfortunate. Yeah. I really liked that game a lot, and I wish that it had, like there were more of them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's why everybody hates the Star Wars, uh, the changes George Lucas made to the Star Wars trilogy. Mm. And, but he's like, but this is what I wanted you to see right? <laughs> all along. Yeah. I mean, whether that's true or not is uh, d- open for debate. But like. Uh, it's death of the author, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it's uh, and that makes it difficult to then move forward with further creation because yeah. you don't. It's not not that it's not yours anymore, but like the relationship is different, you know. Right. Exactly. You have to deal with all the rabid fans who are will get really angry at you. Yeah. So what is about about uh, Star Allies that like didn't click for you? Is it that you're just more a, a more discerning player these days, or? But no, I, I love that game. Well, but you said that you didn't, you wouldn't have, you know, oh, like you recognized oh, that you, that a lot of it was just sort of the, what you carried with sure. you. Sure. Um, I think that there's just not as many interesting, like, uh, level design hooks in that game mm-hmm. as compared to, like, other Kirby games. Is it that you suspect you might not have liked it, or you would know that you might not have liked it if um, you didn't have that, that, that background? I think it's just a lot of the decisions I, I don't like as much, because, like, it's, it's built for it to be multiplayer i played it okay. with my brother yeah and that's part of the reason why i enjoyed it right. but like um i have also tried playing it by myself and it's fun too but mm-hmm. it's not it's not as fun uh as a result of like it's really meant for you to be playing with other people because uh, okay. it's kind of chaotic and stuff and it's mm-hmm. it, it's difficult to enjoy chaos as much when you're just by yourself right right somebody else has to be there causing it with you <laughs> these like, were my, my like a uh, new super mario brothers Wii mm-hmm. and wii u yeah were were had that going you could play multiplayer co-op right but playing those games alone was amazing and mm. so that handled that balance really well so it sounds like this one doesn't as much yeah yeah there's a lot of um stuff you want to do with other people and like the computer the ai in that game uh either they're too good where they do basically all the work for you or yeah. they're not good enough and they basically do nothing so <laughs> uh you know you have to strike that balance sure sure it's like a fighting game <laughs> in that way um but yeah i think it was just like the the the, the level design uh it 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 didn't hit as much. Yeah, there were some interesting levels that I I liked, but mm-hmm. um, not enough for me to really 
really like it in that way. Sure. But like all those references made it so good. <laughs> so I, that's, I guess that's what it was. That's what, it, that's, that's why I, that's why I was bringing it up. And that's why I'm curious. Does that happen to you? Like, are there games that, um, you enjoyed despite the fact that like there are, there were issues with it because like there was some certain nostalgia factors to it. So maybe like the graphics or something were built in eight bit graphics or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, does anything that happens for either of you two? Um, the only thing that's coming to mind is Pokemon because I buy like every new Pokemon, <laughs> yeah. whether I like it or not. But I feel like I really, really liked, um, <laughs> I really liked uh, X and Y mm-hmm. um, for the DS because um, it felt like they were made for like people who had Pokemon nostalgia more than people who were new to Pokemon. Yeah. Sure. Uh, they just had so many improvements that people have been wanting for so long mm-hmm. and it felt like an ode to pokemon rather than like a pokemon game mm-hmm. okay uh so that was really cool but then i tried playing um uh i got uh, um sun and moon because nostalgia mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and started playing them and i was like no <laughs> they changed everything too much oh. <laughs> um but not enough to make it interesting, mm-hmm. just enough to make it really annoying and hard to figure out what to do. And okay. I played half of it just because I wanted to see like all the new Pokemon that they've introduced. Yeah. And then I stopped because yeah. it didn't hold me enough on that. Was, I needed more gameplay and less playing. It felt like they were trying to trying to do the same thing as X and Y and play off my nostalgia, but it wasn't working because I don't know. Right. Yeah. That's another way nostalgia can backfire. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't exactly. I, the only, I guess the only Pokemon game I really got into was Pokemon Yellow because I don't really like RPGs that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have nostalgia for the first 151 Pokemon, especially because yeah. I used to watch the cartoons. And stuff. <laughs> uh, those are great. Yeah. But uh, so like all these new Pokemon, they just look so weird. Like there's key Pokemon and ice cream Pokemon and a garbage bag Pokemon now. And it's, it's too much for me. Mm-hmm. So I just like I, I'm not interested in all this. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't really want to play the new ones. I did try once to get back into it, like a few years back when I was trying to play Pokemon Pearl, I think. Um, and it was still, you know, it was just too much. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, that nostalgia has like backfired in that. Like, I want 151 Pokemon and not. But I want new Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I want new Pokemon, but like more of the same. Just give me evolutions of the old ones. Um, they do that too. They, they do do that, don't they? Didn't the new one have like they remade some of the uh, previous ones? So like they're yeah, they reskinned them. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's like a purple meowth or something now. I don't know. Yeah, Weird. and a ice Vulpix instead of there's ice Vulpix. Mm-hmm. What? See, they're so cool, but that game was so bad. <laughs> <sighs> oh, well. Dang. So it didn't work in that way. It didn't. Nostalgia wasn't enough to make you, make you like the game. Yeah, mm. unfortunately. But I'm just trying to think of a like positive example. I have more positive examples in, in like um, other mediums, I guess. Yeah, that's that's fair. What what, what other mediums you talking about? Um, like movies and and TV shows and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like Ready Player One kind of stuff, or <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, okay. Well, I, I know one that we've all experienced in a different way is the new Star Trek. Yeah. Which, oh, sure. Which to me, I just was instantly like, I don't care if it's good or bad. I'm on board. Mm-hmm. And I ended up liking it a lot. And I, there was parts of it I really didn't like. But I already decided, like, whatever, I'm into it. It's new Star Trek. And then both of you were, like, not into it after a while. 
Like you liked it at first, Stephen. No. No? Oh, I did. Yeah, I guess that's the and then first you... two episodes and then they killed off the character I really liked. But <laughs> yeah. actually, that's not completely accurate because I really only liked two of the characters. <laughs> and then they killed one of them. Yeah, yeah. So like, I was like... Oh, okay. But then you don't, and you don't, but you don't (laughs) have the Star Trek nostalgia that I do. That's true. But Martha, you do. Yes. Well, that's why I kept following it, even though I I couldn't watch it directly. Uh But I've listened to (laughs) it through other people who are watching it for nostalgia. I, I'd like to think it's a positive example because like, yeah. I just, I'm just happier that it exists. Mm-hmm. I, I, I st- I'm still where I'm at when it started. I don't care that it's not the best. Yeah. I just, I just like it. It's like, I like that it's there and I like that people are talking about it and that, and that it's, it's making people go back and watch old Star mm-hmm. Treks. And it's that, it's that feeling of nostalgia. That is that warm blanket feeling. Right. It lets, you know, I, I'm way into that. Yeah. That's why people are constantly like, uh, trying to get people to make sequels of games that like no one played because they yeah. really love the games and they want more of it. So like people will see it and maybe people will like it and then maybe they make more of them or more like that kind of game. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You want you want you want the world to to legitimize your feelings. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's exactly it. Yeah, I have a bunch of games that I want them to make more sequels of or whatever, and I would buy them and play them no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like like if they started making more humongous games, I would buy them, mm-hmm. and if they made more like another po- Star Wars pod racer, I would buy it. And if they made more missed games and well, firmament is coming. Oh, that's a VR game. <gasps> and I talked to one of the developers at GDC. They were showing it off at Indie mega booth uh, and the game wasn't working. So oh. I just, I just chatted with the guy for 40 minutes. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was it looks sort of real good. Ooh. I'm so excited. Yeah. Did you play abduction? No, I need to get that game and play it because it's yeah. by the same people. right? Yeah. 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 And it's gorgeous it's an amazing looking game mm. um but uh to be fair i've only played the first like hour of it so like i i need to go back and play it too i was playing it in vr and that made it hard to sustain long sessions right mm-hmm. uh for firmament is a vr game specifically whereas abduction was at that cusp when vr was starting and they're like let's add vr and then like you know it's it's, it's good in vr but it wasn't really made for vr so it ended up kind of i had a disconnect because i was i bought it as a vr game mm-hmm. i should just try it as a regular old game and i'll probably play it for longer but uh, but yeah, uh, they're back in business. So that's so exciting. But you know, but it's not missed six. You know what I mean? Right. right. Yeah. So like, I think that actually it, it is. Uh, I mean, we're evidence of it. Like, if it was missed six, we'd have played it three times by now. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but man, I, I I didn't play missed. So like missed six, I wouldn't want to play missed six. Yeah, I'd have to go back and play the original missed. Yeah. Well, th- I think that's part of the reason why I think they're making new titles. Yeah. Is because well, I th- I think the, there's an intellectual property issue, but like also, I mean they can bring in more people now. Right. You know, it's like, there's a certain time when nostalgia has like, not an expiration date exactly, but there's like a, sometimes you want to break with it because at a certain point, your, your audience is not as reliable as it was in the past. Yeah. And then it's better to break and start new. Yeah. You need to bring uh, in new people to play the game. Yeah. At that point. So yeah. Right. Like, and then the nostalgia becomes more about like style and gameplay right. and those things that, so your, so your audience, your core audience, there's still a hook for them, mm-hmm. but, um, but it's not a, uh, uh, impediments to others. Yeah. I guess yeah. it depends on the game too. Like Dynasty Warriors, they're on their eighth one now or something. Uh-huh. And I'm pretty sure it's basically just people who like Dynasty Warriors playing games, playing Dynasty Warriors because right. they are very similar. I'm only familiar with that genre in that it has spinoffs yes, with it franchises I'm familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically those games are just they're, um, they're beat 'em ups, but like the enemies don't do much. <laughs> beat a lot up. Beat a lot up. Yeah, that's too accurate. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you just basically just like mm-hmm. destroy armies of people and you get to the other guy and they have a captain 
Then you got to beat the captain, but they don't put up much of a fight either. So yeah, it feels like shoveling a driveway. Like that's what those games look like to me. (laughs) (laughs) But like fun. (laughs) There's like feedback and stuff and explosions sometimes. Oh, okay. So shoveling the sidewalk was like in an action game, right? Right. Action movie. (laughs) That would be fun. Yeah, I want to make that now. Shoveling the sidewalk, the yeah. game. <laughs> Super chores. Yeah. <laughs> Super chores. <laughs> Someone get on that. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but like like those, I think that people are playing those games because like the people who are playing the games are the people who like have nostalgia for these games and really enjoy the old games. Mm-hmm. But like new players probably are turned off from it because they're on eight now and it's probably difficult to start from the beginning. Yeah. Same with like Final Fantasy. Like, uh, Final Fantasy 15 kind of looked interesting to me because it like it had new battle mechanics and yeah. stuff, and it, I don't think it's turn based, right? No. Yeah. So like, I'm I'm more, I'm more interested in it, but also it's like the 15th one. You know what? Actually, this that's a common uh, that turns people off because mm-hmm. the just the number 15. But yeah. Final Fantasy is a great way, a great example of totally subverting that. That's true. Because Final many Final Fantasies are people's first Final Fantasy because none of them are sequels to each other. You're right. They uh, all have the number thing, but like they're all very different from one another. Right, and so they kind of get best of both worlds, but then mm. they also get people who are like, I don't, I haven't played the first fourteen. Like yeah. they just don't know that. Mm. But like Dale played Final Fantasy, it was her first Final Fantasy. And in fact, when you load it up, it had the title screen says a Final Fantasy for fans and first timers. Oh. Like it advertises its purpose to you in the title screen. Oh wow! Like and 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 that actually uh, Dale actually was very comforted by that when she started okay. playing. And it's like her, one of her favorite games. Mm-hmm. So uh, it. And I think Final Fantasy 15 was such a huge success. It was a lot of people's first time, yeah. first Final Fantasy. I mean, yeah, I've been interested. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to peek at it maybe. Yeah. Um, I want to know about like how to, this is maybe the wrong word to use it, but weaponize nostalgia <laughs> <laughs> like Nintendo does. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a great example of that, which is Super Mario Brothers 2. Yeah. Where I was, I'm, okay. So uh, at GDC, I bought, there's this, this is a book series called Boss Fight Books. Mm-hmm. And it's this, these like, like 150 page books uh, all written by different authors about a specific game. Yeah. And they're all totally different styles. It's kind of a cool series. And they sell them at the GDC gift shop. And so uh, this year I bought the Super Mario Bros. 3 book. And um, last year I bought the Super Mario Bros. 2 book. And I read them both this week because uh, um, I hadn't read them yet. And I finally got around to it. Mm. Um, but I read them in one sitting, and uh, or each of them in one sitting. And the thing that I learned most interestingly about uh mario 2 was not just that uh, the thing everybody knows about it which is that it's a reskinned version of an uh, of another game right um it's that um the doki doki panic the game that it was a reskin of was in fact um really well received by nintendo of america Mm. and they were gonna just release it because it was it's a really good game yeah and um but because of its origins as um this uh this uh, uh it was actually a contract project that fuji television uh, task Nintendo to make with these characters. Yeah. But then the characters, that was the, the, the end of their influence. The rest of the game, all the everything else was all Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And so it has this, it has weird origins already. But um, the reason that it's a Mario 2 game is because they're, they were working on Mario 3 and they didn't release Mario 2 in America. So they were going to release Mario 3 eventually, but they needed a Mario 2 in the meantime or else, because they, they didn't want to renumber them the way Final Fantasy did. Yeah. And so uh, part of that was just like, well, we know we're not going to, and there were a bunch of marketing people said like, you know, like we don't want to have to like sell a new idea. Like, wouldn't it be great if we just solve both of these problems at once? <laughs> and so... <laughs> That is the reason why uh, it's that. I mean, I guess that's just a longer version of the reason everybody already knows. 
but it's definitely playing on what was already a pretty heavy nostalgia mm-hmm. for the Mario character, which went back to 81 with Donkey Kong. So yeah. there were a lot of people who had, you know, they were, it was already many years of Mario mania by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but just sort of confluence events and really playing on that idea of like weaponizing it. Yeah. Saying like, listen, we, it would just be so much easier if we could just sell this as a thing people are, are expecting right. rather than as something new. I mean, l- lucky for them, it was a great product, mm. but like, doesn't always have to be. Yeah, like, right? like, like, there's a lot of the things. It's like, well, people make uh, uh, spinoffs and stuff yeah. based off of uh, previous, previously popular uh, games. Yeah, like there's Crash Team Racing, Tag Team Racing, or something, uh-huh. and then there's the what the PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale, whatever it is. Well, that was playing on people's love for Smash. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, there's Smash. Yeah, all the Smash is a good. Yeah. That miss. I mean, it got me because I was like, "Oh, Mario in a fighting game!" Woo! Mm-hmm. And now I'm just hooked on Smash. Yep. So like, and then people oh, have yeah. nostalgia for Smash specifically. Yes. Outside so, of those franchises, so that it's game a, is like the perfect game for me. And it's it, a yeah. nesting doll. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. How could we, as developers, uh-huh. weaponize nostalgia? I would. Let's say monetize instead of weaponize. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Because yeah. we're not hurting anybody with this. Probably. Well, I'm not going to get into that discussion. Uh, <laughs> monetize. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, like, I know that a lot of times when uh, people are releasing uh, new indie games, they will uh, build it as though it was an older game. Yeah. Like, like Super Meat Boy sort of has that kind of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. There's, like, and in fact, there are little portals that like will warp you into like Game Boy versions of Super Meat Boy and stuff yeah. in those games. So like that that's a way of like uh, um, getting at people's nostalgia, but mm-hmm. without with, by making a new IP though that like reaches towards that. Yeah, the art styles like pixel art games mm-hmm. and and uh, old school genres and right. the the common the my game is this meets that, which is yeah. the way I talk to people about Metro Nexus. Because it's a way, it is a wep, it is to weaponize it. It's mm-hmm. to say, like, rather than explain to you from scratch, I will use what you know and what you love yeah. to describe this thing. Right. I used to do that for Fingence, yeah. but then I realized that, like, it's not an accurate description of our game. I yeah. feel like our game is uh, very different from most shoot 'em ups. Right, right. It's um, a new and novel thing, yeah. never seen on this earth before. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but uh, like, a lot of times when people play the game, they will go, oh, this is just like Galaga or something. And I was like, I mean, sorry, I'd just say, yeah, it yeah. is, but it's like not. But I don't. You have a it. problem with that because uh, I, as someone who don't play a lot of shoot 'em ups, I look at that and go, "Oh, it's like the shoot 'em ups, cool." Yeah. But people who love shoot 'em ups are like, "This is nothing like a shoot 'em up." Yeah, but like nobody who have played shoot, who plays a lot of shoot 'em ups have got have come up to me and said, "Man, this is a terrible shoot 'em up." Yeah. So like, but it's definitely not what they expect. Yeah, it is. and so that doesn't make create a problem for you because you can't play on that nostalgia for the people who are most susceptible to it. Right. Yeah. So you're kind of you're cut a, in a very strange place. Our game doesn't have like a fancy scoring system or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So like we have to we have to just well, you also have like a health bar and like right. that alone is a huge deal. Yeah. Because that's like that goes against shoot 'em up dogma. That goes against certain shoot 'em up dogma. There's yeah. apparently there's vengeance uh, is more like a euro shmup. Uh-huh. It just sometimes uses a derogatory term for shmups, <laughs> but like it has health bars and like yeah. equips and stuff, which is this is a lot of how we built vengeance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like we tried to build vengeance so that like it was a more approachable shoot 'em up. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in a way, like maybe people who have seen these games and go, "Oh man, this is too scary," they'll see vengeance and go, "Oh, I remember this game from before. It's really scary, but this one seems more approachable." And yeah, they might come yeah. and try it. So we kind of we kind <laughs> of like trying to stretch the boundaries. Your your vengeance has nostalgia for me because mm-hmm. the art style is so similar to um to like humongous games art style. Oh okay. and 
those are mm. I've talked about those games so many times <laughs> on this podcast. But yeah, that's when I first saw it. I was like, oh, it's little happy fun sub, except new oh, yeah, and cool. Right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. That is part of it. Like uh, my brother will always say that it's it's uh, the art style is a comic book, but I always think it's a Saturday morning cartoon, which is effectively like an extension of a comic book. Uh-huh. It's just a cartoon. I think you are correct. Yes, yeah. I know. <laughs> Charles, did I, I you think, hear that? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think it's it's a comic style, but yeah. comic book means something different to me. Right. Um, I, I would describe it that way. I think yeah. Saturday morning cartoon is pretty good. Mm, I mean, the menus are kind of style. Or cartoon, just yeah, like just, just cartoon. cartoon generally. Yeah. Right. But like all of our characters have the kind of, they're like one note in that like they have this one thing that they're they're all about uh-huh. like old cartoons used to have <laughs> so like that that's the that's kind of what i'm trying to go for too yeah, yeah. and i like that aspect of it mm-hmm. it reminds me of like inspector gadget and stuff yeah um but yeah i guess like thinking about the old games and the old old styles and stuff and like remembering what you liked about them and trying to put that into your game mm-hmm. um i think is a good strategy to get people to buy it just strictly off of that <laughs> <laughs> well i mean there's definitely a difference between the sort of like using it sort of uh, crassly or like trying to literally just monetize nostalgia right. versus, uh, see, I think weaponize is a perfectly reasonable strategy. I don't, but <laughs> monetize sounds more uh, bad to me. Um, oh. Because like uh, nostalgia is a way to increase understanding. It's also as a designer, something you could then take what you love and bring it mm-hmm. and, and filter it through your own views. Yeah. And I think that that's a perfectly like, legitimate way and then all art is that so like, yeah you know it's like I that suppose. one talk that i watched that was like um some this artist was talking about his artistic lineage or something i think i've talked about it before um but uh like all the things that have influenced his work oh yeah when we're talking about influences yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so go back and listen to that episode yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes well, uh, refresh me because I think you were saying it was it it, it goes m- many steps deep, and I think the the premise was that like n- you know no one's an island or something, right? Yeah, basically it was that everyone is influ- like nobody exists in their own vacuum with an original idea. Your ideas are always um, based on pulling pulling together lots of other ideas, right? Uh, and yeah, the reason he started on this is because someone was like, "That idea is not original," <laughs> and he's like, "Of course it's not. Neither is your idea." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess that nostalgia, like playing on nostalgia, is the difference between letting your influences guide you versus like choosing your influences, right? Like uh, picking picking what you're going to be referencing and 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 calling on and expanding upon. Yeah. Um. And I think when you put it that way, it doesn't doesn't they don't doesn't make it that different, really. Yeah. It's just about you know, the, the process and then eventually it goes in the press release, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Martha, I have a pretty good transition. Go for it. Let me take go it. for it. Go for it. Speaking of press releases. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> when it's time to get your game out there, you want to release it into the elusive PC games market. Oh my goodness. Oh, you know, this is great because like Martha's rubbing off on you. Mark. <laughs> it's pretty good. I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> well, I mean, we brought you back here after a month of, Hiatus. Yeah. That's where you were at. <laughs> you were training for this moment. <laughs> I was at Martha's uh, uh, pun transition retreat. Yeah. <laughs> pun transition retreat. Just segues all day. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so my topic is the PC games market. And it's um, uh, basically, I am just going to be regurgitating a lot of the stuff I learned at GDC. So n- very little of this is my original idea. Um, a little bit is my interpretation at the end, and I'll sort of try to clarify 
what is my opinion versus what I'm sort of just taking as like a, 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 a good information that I'm just parroting to you. Mm-hmm. A lot of this is going to be that, though, so fair warning. Um, but I think um, it, a lot of indie developers, I mean, Steam is, uh, we talked about Steam on the show before and about selling your game and releasing your game. Right. And like, it, I mean, none of us are in it with any confidence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we all kind of think like, it's just going to go out and then it's going to be blown away by the breeze. And like mm-hmm. that, we kind of, you have to gird yourself for that reality. Yeah. And I think the more you know about what the reality really is, the, the more reasonable your uh, pessimism can be, perhaps. <laughs> okay. uh, it is kind of a depressing topic, but I think just more knowledge of it can give you more, if not confidence in your, your ability to sell your game. Yeah. At least confidence uh, in, in knowing what's going to happen or what mm-hmm. could happen, what the possibility space is. Sure. I guess I, well, uh, whenever I approach like releasing a game on yeah. the PC game market, I just approach it as that my game is out there so people can have access to it. Yeah. Less so than my game is out there, I can start making money. Right. That's well, my feeling. And that's the thing is like it it's um I mean to be cruel, mm-hmm. it's the difference between a hobby and a profession. Sure. Right. And and we want to make professions out of our independent works. Okay. And so I think it's it's important to have a sense of reality, but also at the same time, if you want to make a go of it and you want to, you know, like quit your day job or yeah. you want to stop living off your savings. Yeah. It's important to at least know about this. Yeah, and and, sure. and maybe it's important it's important to expect a little more of yourself. Um, as you put this in there. Okay, okay. so preamble uh, complete. Uh, <laughs> so I went, to, I went to a bunch of talks at GDC, like four or five of them, that were specifically talking about either how to sell your game in, uh, uh, in the PC market or an analysis of the sort of Steam market. And a lot of these things take uh, data from a, a site called Steam Spy, which is a, a project that was set up um, to um, infer the sales numbers of all games on Steam. Okay, And yeah. uh, it is, um, it's not perfectly accurate because it uses the steam's public api now it's not able to track sales because that's not public information right um but it is used as a market tool pretty much universally because it's all we've got hey there mark from the future cutting in real quick to tell you about some news you may have read about in the last week but hadn't happened yet when we recorded this episode steam spy which i talk about a bit in this segment is shutting down the public data they relied on is becoming a little less public due to a change in valve's default user privacy settings and without that, their data is even less reliable than it was previously, so they're packing it in. We'll link to some articles about this in the show notes, but I wanted to interrupt the show to tell you about it because I think it provides a pretty interesting context to keep in mind as you listen to the rest of the segment. Um, and it's, it's relatively good, but it, people are very skeptical of the sort of accuracy of it, but people very much trust its overall kind of metrics. The thing I heard at an Xbox talk, actually, um, is um, that it's much better for um, analyzing like a launch uh, success than like the long tail because oh. data gets much more noisy as a game goes on. You have free copies, you right. have discounts right. and stuff like that, but it can be a pretty good uh, 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 judge of what sells good when it's released. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, once the numbers get close again, there's lots of noise in the data. So that's just a, 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 a warning about that, that you'll hear from every, anyone who talks about using steam spy data. The difference then is then how, how much, then you have to draw that line for yourself. Like, how much do I trust what, what I'm hearing? And yeah. so um, it, here's what the data says. And this is, a, this is a talk I went to that was pretty, uh, 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 did a pretty long uh, analysis of what this all was. So uh, a couple of takeaways. First thing is that Steam Direct, which allows anyone to just pay $100 to put a game on Steam, has like totally overcrowded the market, like as expected. Mm. Tons of games were flooded in. And this happened with Steam Greenlight as well. In fact, Steam Greenlight started this... Um, 
this trend of more games every month, right? It was pretty flat up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but every month, more games uh, exponentially. And then Steam Direct just shot that up even further. Sure. Um, and it really does make it even harder for indies to, to stand out because 900 games are being released on Steam every month now, mm. which is insane. Yeah. Uh, a good statistic is 40% of all games on Steam were released in 2017. Yeah. Um, and that is just kind of amazing when you think about like, well, mine's going to be one more. And by, I mean, by 2020, like who knows what that number is going to be? Right. Is, is that going to keep going? Is that a matter of like when Steam Direct starts? Like, is it going to be that 80% of all games on Steam in 2020 were released in 2019? Like, I don't know. Could mm-hmm. be. Um, you got to, and, and so the trend will continue. Yeah. And part of that is the democratization of access, but also democratization of tools. And that's something we've talked about on the show is that something we're really in favor of. Yeah. Um, but it's something when you look at this data, you're like, oh, I wish. I wish that some people were not, other people weren't making games right now. Um, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> okay, so uh, another big uh, takeaway is you should stop making puzzle platformers. Uh, Oops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they are by far the lowest selling genre on Steam. They are, in, in the talk I went to, they were used as a control number. Mm-hmm. So the, the average sales of puzzle platformers was one, and then everything else was multiples of that. And oh. so <laughs> it is the uh, by far lowest selling genre on Steam. And so there, uh, the, the conclusion there at this talk was that uh, there's just no appetite for those, those games anymore. Mm. You think of Braid as the sort of quintessential indie game. Right. Um, that, is, that started a run of that. And presumably that also in, uh, um, uh, uh, inspired people to make their own version of that. Sure. And uh, anyway, so that's, that's, that's what we're hearing from there. The other thing is E for Everyone games, like all audience titles, are also the lowest selling on Steam. Um, the the um, the sales increases um, at a pretty good clip, uh, like logarithmically, uh, 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 per age rating you go up. The highest rate, uh, highest selling games are mature games what? by an incredible margin. Huh? I know, Stephen. This is so depressing for you. It is. Uh, there's no hope. I promise. <laughs> um, uh, the last takeaway is that uh, China is the fast growing market and already has more players. Uh, than the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not uh, localizing your game to Chinese from jump, you're sort of out of luck. You're, you're missing out on that, that market. Mm. And that's sort of general, like, you know, if you can localize, do it. Um, but the, 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 it's growing so fast that the, the takeaway here is that, like, you should really be focusing on Chinese players, not just in localization, but also in game design. Mm. Uh, okay, so big twist. All of that is nonsense. <laughs> Everything I just said. What? All of it. I know, right? <laughs> Like every every conclusion from that is completely and utterly wrong. Is that that's the conclusion they had? No, that's the conclusion. You this could. is the conclusion I'm coming to, um, and you don't have to trust me because there were other talks I went to that that had different. I, I'm. It's interesting because I went mm. to a couple of different talks and they sure. had different ways of interpreting this data. Okay, and uh, it happened that this was the first talk I went to, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense either. Like that's you're over interpreting that data. Yeah, and I'm like, but what do I know? And then I went to a couple of the talks that that interpreted differently. I'm like, okay, I'm right. <laughs> So, I yeah. mean, you know, again, you can make your own judgments, um, you know, from whatever expertise I draw to it, which is very little. Mm-hmm. And then and, and, and the, the uh, information that I'm going to tell you now, which is sort of a, 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 um, really what I, explaining why each of those points are kind of ridiculous. Mm. Uh, the first one is the Steam Direct. Mm-hmm. So it's true. The actual number of titles has grown. All that data is correct. But the conclusions are utterly wrong. And uh, it liberalizes access, but it also shows that the... The major increase in that volume mm-hmm. are zero selling games and like single digit selling games. Sure. Like games that do not appear in search lists, 
They do not show up in uh, players' recommends. Yeah. They are asset flips. Like the, Basically, it just lowered the gate, and you could see over to all of everybody's little tutorial projects. Ah. And so, and there's nothing wrong with that. I yeah. mean, other than those people maybe shouldn't have spent the $100, um, or, did, or did rather didn't need to. Mm. But um, the, the data that I was seeing is that the reduction in sales for indie titles, and it is true, I don't want to make sure, I don't want to say everything is sunshine, that it is uh, titles on average do sell less than they did three years ago. Okay. Uh, sell fewer copies and make less money. Yeah. But not by the amount that the raw data just shows sure. because most of that, that reduction happens to titles outside of the top 10,000 titles on Steam. Oh. So if you can get a game that sells as good as the top 10,000th game on Steam, mm-hmm. um, which is not a nothing problem. Like right. it's not, you can't just say automatically. Yeah. But if you're really serious about the games you're making, and I think every, there's very few games that are being worked on in this community um, from people who even worked on them for a couple of weeks uh-huh. that I would say I would I would have uh, that I would not have confidence could crack that number. Sure. If you can get into that top 10,000, then there's apocalypse you can avoid. OK, um, that's the that's the 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 the, the, the what I'm getting. And you, that 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 number uh, that uh, interpretation of the data comes from the um, the talk I went to by the creator of Steam Spy interpreting his own data. So oh, well. that, that should have a little bit of sway with people, I, I'd like to think. OK, um, but uh, another talk I went to uh, um, basically took that raw data and then did a subjective analysis mm-hmm. and said, these are the games that obviously are asset flips. These are the games that are just clones. These are the ones that are cash-ins. These are the ones that like there's just no purpose to. And instead of just doing, going by sales, by saying these are the titles that you're not competing with and removed those. And so it's a very subjective analysis. But it looked at that games, um, you know, the average indie title um, still sells about 3,000, 4,000 copies. Um, uh, in a year, and so if and that's average, so that doesn't mean your game is going to do that. It yes. means it's and of course it's a hit driven business, so it's going to be a lot less or a lot more probably. Right. Um. Uh. But um. The the when you look at that data and you sort of apply some reasonable logic to it, and again it's very fuzzy and it's all subjective. But when you look at it, you actually see that the more titles on Steam does impact discoverability. It does impact revenue because there's more options, mm. but not at the rate that you would think just by looking at the data or in fact by analyzing the data as some people have yeah. and come away f- with these things. So, okay, so that's one point. You'd and think that like they sort that somewhat, it seems by, especially the person who like, uh, the person who did this talk yeah. was, is from Steam Spy, right? Not this first talk I went to oh, yeah. that was analyzing right, right, the data. Right, 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 but, but the one after that or something. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, how do you mean sort like, that? Like they would say, they would somehow, they would have an interpretation of the data that like, Goes is more accurate to what is actually happening. In the game. Uh, I that's easier said than done. Sure, um, and that interpretation was the point of this talk. Okay, um, it's it takes a lot of it, the data itself is is presented. It's a lot of work to then do an analysis on it and make mm-hmm. that available for free and okay. make that ongoing. So, sure, sure. So you can't, you can't give him any... No, no, I, 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 I don't mean that. to like, I don't mean to go, but oh, in fact, bad Steam Spy. Uh, he, it's uh, it, it, the state of Steam in 2018, I think yeah. is the title of the talk. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he actually did that work and, and, and made an effort because he knows how people take that data and misinterpret it. Right. So I, I have to give him a lot of credit for like, um, you know, and he wasn't saying like other people are wrong yes. or anything. A lot of this is my result of seeing these different talks and how these yes. different uh, uh, people interpret this data. But he was he he had feels a responsibility to mm-hmm. to let people know how he interprets his own do you, data. Do you remember the person's name? Uh, I don't. But we'll put it in the okay. show notes. Yes. 
Um, for sure. Um, in fact, I'll put all of these um, uh, uh, talks, at least the ones that I'm not um, um, uh, slandering, uh, <laughs> in the show notes yeah. because a lot of the talks are available uh, for free on the GDC vaults, mm-hmm. um, uh, either on YouTube or on GDC site now, uh, which is pretty good. Okay, so my next point is about puzzle platformers, and yes. th- this is the one that I think is mostly uh, my interpretation and less of what I'm hearing uh, directly from you know reputable sources. Mm-hmm. But I feel very strongly about this. Okay, is that uh, puzzle platformers represent most of the games on Steam. Mm. So it's a volume issue. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they are the lowest selling is because they're they're caught up with many of, of these tutorials uh, and these simple projects yeah. and game jam games, yeah. um, which are not, which are, you know, are, are people's hard work. And like, I don't, I, it's really hard not to like, feel like I'm disparaging a lot of these sort of small, lower uh, uh, games. But the truth is they are not games that that as a serious indie developer you are hoping to compete with. Right. And a lot of those are puzzle platformers. They are in fact the easiest game to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and puzzle platformer is a tag in Steam. It's not a genre. So in a sense, like genre feels like, oh, this is, a, this is an objective analysis of what this game is. Yeah. Puzzle platformer is a tag that people put on their games. Right. And so it is a common tag because it's familiar. It's something people know that other play, that players like. And so th- what that does is that's, that's why that is the lowest number uh, because so many people uh, tag their games that mm-hmm. and so many games are that. And so I feel like uh, that chart of saying like these are the genres that do best on Steam is like totally useless, like 100% useless to you in terms of if you're like, I, what, I have three ideas, which one should I do? Okay, well, which one would sell better? Like the, the least cynical interpretation of, or, or thing you could do is if you have three good ideas and you want to pick which one would sell the best, like that seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to want to do. Mm-hmm. You look at this chart, not going to help you at all. Mm. Like, because not, not only that, you have certain genres that sell more because they are the province of AAA development. And AAA development gets the most eyeballs, gets the most development resources, and gets the most money spent on them in product development and advertising. So those genres are going to be the ones that sell more. And so those genres are the ones that are harder for indies to make. Um, they look at that and they go, oh, I'll make an indie version of that because it sells so well. Yeah. But that's not why it sells so well. And so I think looking at that data is very dangerous and, and interpreting those, those things. And the same goes for this E for everyone thing. Like I was immediately floored by this conclusion mm-hmm. because every indie game you've ever seen in your life is E for everyone. Yeah. The only M-rated games on the planet are like made by Rockstar and Activision. Like, or are there horror games or something? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. That's true. Um, uh, there are horror indie games. I mean, as much as I'm blind to them. <laughs> but um, but I, I was, that conclusion just, I was, I was going to stand up and yell in that talk. I'm like, that is ridiculous that you can say that. Like, mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, you know, you don't need to make like a, you know, like a, a game where a million people die. But like, think about, you know, aiming for, uh, uh, for like, you know, 13 or like the, those middle uh, uh, ratings. Yeah. And I'm, like, that is the worst advice you could have. Mm-hmm. The truth is, is every, uh, so many, every indie game is E for everyone. And so like the, the, it's flooded with all of those titles. And specifically, M-rated games are very much limited for the most part to games that are AAA. Mm. And so uh, that, I was just floored by that conclusion completely. And um, anyway, and I think that's really easy because you look at these things. And the, the other thing about this talk that, um, that I'm not a big fan of is it had this, um, it did this, it did like regression analysis and like uh, correlation data. And it looks like they put a lot of effort into take, trying to find what made sense. So they said, okay, here's a Metacritic score versus sales. So how, how does it matter if your game is good? Because the conclusion, the, the de- he was trying to debunk the idea that all you have to do is make a good game and it will sell. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's a fair conclusion to, or, or, or to say that that's not true. Yeah. 
But he was looking at the data to do it, and he was saying that there's such a weak correlation between a, a game's Metacritic score and its sales, mm-hmm. and then a weak, a similarly weak correlation to its, uh, or, or a slightly, uh, yeah, similarly weak to its user ratings and its score. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, it could certainly be one could be causing the other. Um, and again, the no- data is so noisy, and there's so much of it that I feel like actually looking at that correlation is. I don't know. It just felt like very much of like, I'm, I'm going to crunch all the numbers and then those are the facts, ma'am. And yeah. I, I thought that that was, uh, it was um, lacking some, frankly, some suge- subjective analysis as to what data was good and what data was bad sure. um, or what, the, what, the, what that number meant. Um, so I was like fuming that whole time. I was just like, that doesn't make any sense. And I, I was trying to give it the benefit of the doubt because the thing is, is they did put a ton of work into analyzing the data that like I clearly didn't. Um, and uh, it wasn't necessarily that, they, and you know, I had to say, like, well, am I just upset about this because I don't like these conclusions? And uh, you know, certainly my reaction was probably a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But thinking about a lot of the, particularly when it comes to like genres or age ratings, like I feel like pretty bulletproof in my my, you know, uh, totally discarding that conclusion. Yeah. And that the confidence that he had in that made me think like, okay, then his bias was definitely towards this sort of trust the numbers kind of feel but not knowing what those numbers actually meant mm-hmm. um, and not being able to and, and my contention on a lot of this is that there are other variables that he cannot control for that he's not doesn't isn't acknowledging yeah so um, a lot of this is to say that um, the the what you hear about the the PC game market being like a total disaster the indie apocalypse is really the fact that it's always been hard to sell a game on Steam yeah so when it gets harder the numbers say that it's getting harder and it's hard for you you think, oh, it would have been better previously for me. Yeah. And that is also a wrong conclusion. Like, who, who well, knows? Well, the way, well, I, I mean, I agree. It is, it is, it's not, it, right. people are like sensationalizing it and it's too much. But yes. it is admittedly a bit harder than it was. I will say your game would, if you just put your game on Steam yeah. and left it alone, yeah. it was never going to sell. Like, you know, and I think Even that, back in Greenlight. Even no, no, before, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Even before Greenlight, like. Um, no, I, I I totally agree with that. I'm just I'm just butting up against the idea that it is not at all harder. To, to no, and and in fact, it, it is. I think a lot of it, it is because it's, there's more access right. and there's more titles yeah. and like and then that there is just an undeniable logic yeah. to that. Like what, the it's 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 the um, the question of magnitude. Mm-hmm. And I think yes, 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 exactly right. And the 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 talk I went to um, by uh, the he's the uh, publisher at uh, uh, No More Robots. Mm-hmm. Um, they make Descenders or they publish Descenders. Um, he gave this talk. I, I went actually three talks of his. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he gave a talk where he was doing his subjective analysis, and he is when he said like, "Listen, it's not as bad as they say, but it's still getting worse." Yeah. Um, and I, I, that that I felt he had the most reasoned analysis, and so we'll see if if his talks are online um, for the post because I, I aligned most with what his conclusions were saying. Okay. Um, even if like you know, and he gave fair warning, like you know, these numbers might not be accurate, but sure. they're the conclusions are are well reasoned. Sure. Because um, yeah, it is harder. It definitely is harder. Yeah. But I feel like. Certainly, as an indie developer, like I don't have a like I don't have a release history to draw on. So there's yeah. no one with nostalgia for my work. And so when I release a game, it, thinking about like it's harder now than it was then, I don't know what that that what action I can take. Sure. Like, what what inf- what does that information do? There's for not me? really anything you can do. Yeah, about exactly it. right. Just, yeah. And so um, to think of like, oh well, what I should do is I should put microtransactions, or I should try to like break the cycle or mm-hmm. get out of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's the reactions a lot of people are having is like, what what totally crazy different thing I should do to break out of this impossible scenario? But the truth is, it's just a little harder out there, and it's always been um, you know um, a mix of the, the different tactics, timing, and uh, you don't want to say luck, but there's always that tiny bit, right? Um, and uh, that's not different 
mm-hmm. it was before. Yeah, I think so. It sounds to me like the impression I'm getting from all this information is that like, uh, first off, make sure you make a quality product. Uh-huh. Uh huh. If for no other reason, then it's a it's worth your time, right? To do yeah, it. <laughs> like you're putting your name on this thing. So yeah. You should probably do that, or like. Or if you just want something on Steam, then I guess you can spend the hundred. You do what you want with your money, I guess. See, the thing, the thing I, I learned from it is like, if uh-huh. you just have like a tutorial project that you want people to see, yeah, and or an asset flip that like has a cool idea you put in there, yeah, put it on Steam. You're not hurting me. Yeah, like I, I think that's the thing is like I don't think those people who are mm-hmm. throwing those all the terrible games on Steam, yeah, those people should not be yelled at no. or derided. Right, like. Let them do it. Yeah, like that's that. I'm getting a lot of this. It's like I have less hatred mm-hmm. for for the sort of like beginners yes. who I'll, are ruining it for the rest. Alternatively, of us. put it on itch and save a hundred dollars. <laughs> True. <laughs> Good story. point. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And maybe it's not a smart decision, but I have nothing against you if you do right, it. You, it's, you, I guess you do, like I said, you do what you want with your money. Yeah, yeah. Your money. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you, if you're trying to if you're trying to do well in this, it sounds like make a quality product. Um, and really, it's like it. I don't you the the talk you're talking about don't bring up like how these games were marketed or anything like that but I think that's a lot of it you got to get people to yes. see it and that is a, that is in fact sort is. of outside the scope of my topic here sure. I did see a lot about that and maybe I'll I'll do that in a future episode okay. because um there's lots of really good practical information for when you have no money and you need to promote a product and yeah. what is a waste of money yeah I feel like there's a lot of things that are a waste of money in marketing and I got a lot of good information from GDC that's but again we'll, we can revisit that mm-hmm. later because that's definitely the second part of the puzzle um but I do want to go through the, the last misconception which is that about China mm. and about other emerging markets, right? Um, it's definitely true. And in fact, there was a great thread on Twitter uh, today as we record this talking about um, the sort of uh, before and after when localizing and like actually part of the reason that Chinese audiences don't buy games is that they're not made for them. And so mm-hmm. that's definitely true. The, the more you make a game for someone, the more likely they're going to buy it. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the state, so it's not, which is not to say that you shouldn't be uh, paying attention to emerging markets, but the, I think the conclusion that you have to, that you should think about that first yeah. before your own market, yeah. um, I think is that I think is a, is, is a bit um, over, again, overselling the data because while China does have more Steam users than America, it depends on how you count it. In fact, it's a little bit, uh, you could say the U.S. has more. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the fact is that the U.S. still by far spends way more money. Oh. Owns more titles, yeah. and a big uh, jump in the amount of Steam accounts in China is due to uh, Battlegrounds, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, oh. uh, which is just last year. Okay, um, and uh, also uh, the fact that a lot of uh, uh, in China they have a culture of cyber cafes, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of those Steam oh, accounts yeah. are disposable. So they make an account, they uh, they have a copy of PUBG yeah. on on the on the computer that is then like accessed by that random account. It's like mm-hmm. a family sharing thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that account gets banned or something because someone in the cafe does something dumb and then they get rid of it and make a new account. Yeah. And so it overinflates it and it also it in fact because um, other people they'll sign in with their own but it makes those numbers really hard to do but none of those people are buying any games. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so th- that data is incredibly misleading and uh, China is still in the top 10 of uh of the audience that spends money on games. Yeah. So it's not that there no one's spending money at all, but they are, you know, they have the number 1 or number 2 user base, but they're the number 9 uh uh for actually uh um spending money and buying titles. Okay. US is by far the the, the highest uh, followed by Germany, France, the UK. Um Russia is another region where there's a ton of users. I think they're number 3 for users, but they're number uh, 8 in 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 sales. It's another it's a similar situation. Uh, a wider user base, cyber cafes, multiple you know accounts inflating those numbers, um, and so the the conclusion is again, I think localization is something that if you're an indie uh, developer, it's a big investment, and if you feel you have to do it or else you're sunk, I think that is that can lead you to make some bad choices. Right. If you can do it, it can open up 
more audiences to you. Mm-hmm. But think about those resources and maybe you put that instead into uh, having a new game mode or fixing bugs yeah. or doing some polish. And, it, you know, I, in, a, in a great world, we'd love to do all of these things. Yeah. Um, and I, I would put uh, localization uh, a st- in terms of, like, the duty of a developer to, like, make things accessible. I would put that below things like colorblind modes and accessibility and, like, control remapping and those things that, like, are hard for indies to find time for, mm-hmm. but they should really make the effort. Mm-hmm. I think localization is something that, like, it is something you should certainly think about and do if you can. Yeah. But I think people are giving it a little bit too much importance by some of, with some of this data mm-hmm. um, and some of the games that explode in these territories um, because they're very suitable for that. Like PUBG, it's a $30 game. It's what you call a double A game and it's a huge, massive success, but it's not really that indie of a title. Sure. Uh, it feels like, you know, the, the story is kind of like from first blush, like, oh, it's made by one guy who was like a modder and made his own thing. No, it's backed by a pretty big company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, it, it deserves all the success it gets, but I think people are taking the wrong lessons from right. it. Yeah, when we have our linguistics part two episode. Yeah. <laughs> we should talk about localization. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, that's all of those bad take uh, discounting. And that was the angriest part of my talk, uh, probably. But um, so uh, just some general info about the PC uh, market, which not everybody really knows, is there are 65 million people who own at least one indie title on Steam. And that is uh, 22% of Steam's audience. So that sounds like not a lot uh, in terms of percentage. But when you think about gamers and you think about who is going to spend the $10 on a thing they've never heard of, mm-hmm. the fact that up almost a quarter of Steam's audience does that uh, at least once is pretty heartening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an enormous audience. And, and you can find your niche in there, really, for sure. Yeah. And, and that's just one title, right? So then maybe they found the one that they read about you know, uh, online or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, uh, it doesn't get that much worse when you uh, try to think of people who are actually indie gamers. Um, it's 24 million people own five or more, and that's l- slightly less than 10% of the Steam audience. That's still enormous. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, it's bigger than a lot of countries. Um, and those people are the people who are looking for indie games who have five or more titles um, and want yours. Uh, so that's really good. Um, the... Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fraction of the Steam audience, but it's objectively enormous. And I think uh, um, people should really be thinking about that when they think about like how the average number of uh, titles that is sold, it gets lower and lower every year. Like that's the, that's the, the worry. Um, and again, it's not as dire as perhaps some people say, um, but when you think about it, you think about the pool of people who are actually available to you and then all the tools you could have, uh, again, outside the scope of this topic, mm-hmm. uh, to get those people. And it's, it's pretty big and that's pretty exciting. Um, certainly, uh, I, it makes me feel a lot better when I see those numbers than like you know back when I was making like indie films. Like, there's no audience for, the, for that, you know, in a different way. And again, distribution for games is a lot uh, more accessible. So I feel really good when I see those numbers, uh, and I hope you too. Uh, okay, pricing. Um, this is another thing about uh, um, where people are like, oh, you know what? Uh, the the mobile makes every game a dollar, but on Steam, you could probably sell your game for like six bucks or eight bucks mm-hmm. or like ten if you're feeling really confident. Um, mm-hmm. But the truth is, is that the um, most games on Steam um, are ten bucks. Um, that is where the, the the in terms of volume, right? Yeah. Um, the highest selling games are thirty dollars games and sixty dollars games. Sure. And uh, most of that thirty dollars is again battlegrounds. Yeah. Um, but if you take that out, uh, it's still pretty high. That is the the sort of the top of the bell curve, and then it shoots up again at sixty mm-hmm. because again, that's the the AAA market is locked there, right? Right. Um, uh, but the thing about it is, perceived, this is the, the talk I, uh, from the, the Normal Robots guy um, uh, about perceived quality. And it, I think that if you're making an indie game that you've worked on for a year or more, um, and I, that's a really si- silly metric because that doesn't really mean anything exactly. But if you feel like it's, it's that type of game that you've put a lot into, 
Um, I don't. The ten dollars is like you should not sell it for less than that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because if you sell it for less than that, uh, a gamer looks at that and says that's garbage. Not only that, but like you will not all of the sales. You have to sell more games to make back what you're yes. buying. Yes, and there's paying. the you know there's the math you do like okay volume versus sale price. Right. Uh, there's a there's an inflection point. Every product has that inflection point. The perfect price to sell to the most amount of people at the right price that if yeah. you sold it for more, the fewer amount of people would buy it would then make it for less yeah. revenue, right? Yep. And then the, the other way as well, you don't want to sell it for too little because even if you have a bunch of people buying it, you're not going to make as much money as if you sold it for a little higher. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible to know what that is for your game, mm-hmm. but for most indie games, that's 10 bucks. Yeah. Um, and 15 is not out of, out of, the, out of realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Like I could, you know, uh, I think it, you, people get scared about this. They're like, well, I, if I sell it for, you know, for real money, then people won't buy it. But if it's for cheap, then more people will want to buy it. And the the perception in the games market is very much tiered. Um, uh, ten dollars to twenty dollars is indie games. Indie games are ten dollars, twenty dollars. That's what gamers feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, twenty to forty is double A games, right? Uh, games that are like you know, uh, like uh, Hellblade or PUBG or games that are like you know, they have some problems or they're a little buggy or they're like not the best polished thing, but they're like big games, right? Yeah. And then over forty, that's triple A. If you're yeah. selling it for forty dollars. And it's not AAA. I think you get a lot of pushback from players. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why players will say like, "This game is only forty hours." What the you know? Yeah. Like that is where that attitude comes from. But if you sell your game for less than ten dollars, that is a big sign on your game that says, "Ignore me, please." Um, and uh, that's maybe not fun because, in fact, it might be that if not for that specific perception in the game's market. Um, your game would be perfectly priced at $8, right? Maybe that would be the inflection point. Mm-hmm. But it really is. Once it's lower than, than $10, it becomes don't buy me. And that's kind of depressing in a way, but it also should give you hope that like if you want, because a lot of times if you don't have an ad, if you don't have a commercial, the only, the, there are people going to see your, your trailer, your, uh, your screenshots, your title, your, your logo, a couple things on the store page, and they're going to see the price of your game. And that is as much a sign of what your game is as your screenshots and trailer. If you don't have the confidence to sell for $10, no one's going to buy it. Um, I mean, that's like a very absolutist statement, but I, I, I think I want people to get over the idea that they can't sell their work for that much money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, I mean, again, it's kind of arbitrary. It's $10 is where that the market perceives that at. It could be, who knows, you know, with inflation and other things, it could be $15 at some point, uh, you know, or whatever. But that's just the arbitrary number where like it's a threshold above and below it. Um, so I would recommend people and I, I was like convinced I'm like I'm going to sell my game for eight bucks because that feels kind of premium but it's still kind of cheap like I, Wait, you're going to sell Metro Nexus really? for eight dollars that's what I wanted to do yeah what the heck no that, 20 bucks yeah yes All yeah. Right. <laughs> don't sell it for less okay <laughs> I'm no, stirred here no but I, I think it's uh, I mean you know I mean maybe this is not news to a lot of people uh, and the reason I'm sort of repeating myself a little bit sure. is because it, you kind of need to drill into yourself that you do need it. Because like I, I looked at all this and I like, yeah, don't sell your game for cheap. Don't sell your game for five bucks. I'm like, yeah. okay, $8 then. <laughs> I feel great about it. Okay. But like, no, I'm, I'm, I think I 15 is what I'm thinking of now. Okay. And I, yeah, as much as I appreciate your confidence. I think you could sell it for 20 and I think it's worth $20. Yeah. Okay. You know, I think the example I think about a lot is Towerfall. Sure. Towerfall came out on the Ouya. Mm-hmm. It was, it was Ouya's first big exclusive mm-hmm. only perhaps. Um, and it was as fast as possible moved to other platforms. Yeah. It sold $15 and Ouya was a mobile based platform it was an Android based platform. Yeah. And so a lot of developers took that mindset and game, most games were $5 when Ouya launched. And that is one of the reasons Ouya failed is because games were not sold as premium. And, um, the Ouya platform specifically required you to release a demo. And the market they gave to, to users was every game has a free demo 
so you can try it. Oh, yeah. And then, and if every game then was also then $5, people were encouraged to try a lot of little things and then pay nothing on anything. Right. And so, uh, and Towerfall had the gall to release at $15, and it was the biggest hit on that platform. Mm-hmm. But there was a ton of discussion about that is way too much for that game, but only amongst the Ouya community. Outside of that, in the wider indie games market, people were like, oh, they're selling a game on Ouya. Like, and that seems all right. Like, it, it so I th- it is perception is a huge comes into play a lot of these things yeah. what is around you and it not only guides what you think about what you're going to price it at but it definitely guides what consumers think the reason you can't sell an iPhone app for $3 is because the 99 is the 99 cents is the $10 of the mobile market yeah for no reason like there's for pretty much no reason um because uh speak, actually the reason is is because songs on iTunes cost a dollar mm. oh that is actually pretty. That's what people are expecting to pay when they go on. The Absolutely, sure. and so um, that's why mobile is a much more volume-driven business, mm-hmm. right? These things are not free market realities; they are uh, the sort of uh, consequences of circumstance. Yeah, and um, and and I feel a lot more confident in what I've learned that 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 ten dollars is definitely your minimum. And I think uh, certainly most of the games in our community would, yeah, fifteen or twenty seems like mm-hmm. perfectly a steal at that price. Right. We should um, at least just sell a widget satchel for fifteen and twenty dollars. Yeah, I see. That's and Clawbreaker for little ten. Yeah, so yeah, that's what I was just thinking because yeah. we're working on getting Clawbreaker out there um, soon. Uh, <laughs> um, I see some steam coming out of your ears over there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but we we're trying to talk about price for it. Yeah, and because it's such a tiny little game. Yeah, like we were pricing it at like five dollars. Yeah, maybe, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. not even that much. Uh, it's so easy to get in that think, trap. Yeah, it's, it's like you, you're so scared of all the customers you will lose. Right. But, but no, but it's but you you do have to be realistic. Like right. Clawbreaker is a very small experience. Right. It's endlessly replayable. Yes. which is what gives it value. Right. And so I think that is something that as a developer, it's probably harder for you to quantify because um, you look at the the code and the development, and you're like, well, there isn't a million levels, right? There isn't a ton of stuff here, but it, because it is endlessly replayable. Um, that I think that gives it a ton of value. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that's very useful is to actually do some uh, user testing on your game for this. Um, Hannah Murphy, friend of the show, did some testing on my game and asked a question of the 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 focus group: "What would you pay for this?" Yeah, and I was kind of floored. And I talked I talked about this in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. And someone was saying like, "Yeah," and they were just playing the multiplayer mode of my game, yeah. which is not the full version of my game. And they were like, "Yeah, enough people said twenty dollars." Yeah, and I I'm still kind of like a little floored by that, and it's, it's still hard for me to believe. Um, that's true, but but again, you set the perception. Yeah. So when you say your game is worth this, that's what it's worth, right? Um, and yes, you will lose people who are looking for to spend five dollars, but that's not as many people as you think, right? That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. And if you have any feedback, fill out the feedback form at nicegames.club slash feedback. I feel like we should like update the feedback form. Yeah. It's been a little. We've, we've, I mean, we've been going for over a year now. Yeah. And like I haven't looked, touched it since. I checked a little recently. There was a yeah. one or two new ones. Hey, hey, thank nice you, everybody. Thank you all. Yeah. Appreciate that. But like, I, I feel like we could get better resources. Yeah, I don't know, because like now I'm hearing all these these data points from yeah. <laughs> from your talks. Well, you know, our audience useful. is developers, so yeah. uh, you devs out there, um, w- would you like us to ask you questions about your type, your games, what you're working on? Because mm-hmm. like, I mean, we could use our feedback form for more than just feedback about how we're doing. Because really, you guys don't care that much. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we uh, let's collect some data from our from our, our our listeners. What do you say? 
Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if you want to see that, uh, let us know at nicegames.close.com. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or you can talk directly to us on Twitter or all the other things at Nice Games Club. And you can tell us all about what you would like to hear there. Hmm? Lastly, you can find out more about the show, your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. And so, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. On co-routines. Yeah. Will that have happened? Yes. Yeah, that would yes, have happened. Because that's, that's next weekend. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I've, that's been so off my radar. Like, oh, the new bar? Well, there's one. Anyway, this is too much. <laughs> this is too much in what's happening right now. But on Monday, uh-huh. there's another ticket release. So Cool, cool. I'll edit that out of the episode, but I'll totally okay. take that advice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do I get it? Never mind. I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> what are you going to talk about? I was going to ask if I got a ticket to Minibar. You do. Oh. Well, if you're talking there. Okay, cool. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, I'm going to know now. I do. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.